If you could stand and join me, we're reading from Luke 2 today. I told Greg this might be hard for me. I've heard it multiple times every Christmas season in um, King James. <laughs> Uh, verses 1 through 20. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. You may be seated. Thank you, Beth. Welcome, Reliance. Merry Christmas. Um, with the subject of peace this morning on our Advent, um, I would ask that you would pray with me. Sometimes we can use a word just generally, and it doesn't have a context for its, um, its significance. And when we talk about the peace of God or peace with God, Oftentimes we realized or have not fully realized the grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so with that in mind, whatever the proclamation of the angels was, was significant. I imagine that we are all familiar with this story. So let's stir our hearts once again with what's said here. Let's pray. Lord, you have been gracious towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The proclamation of the angels was specific. And that you have been gracious towards us and that you provided us a Savior. A Messiah who was promised, who is Lord. 
And Lord, while we were yet sinners, we have to acknowledge and admit that we have rebelled against you. And the judgments of God are good and true. That your judgment be that we who have misused your image are in a position of consequence. But Lord, you have been also, not while you are good in your judgments, but also you have been rich in your grace and provided us a child. And this child has freed us from the consequence of our sins. And Lord, I pray that as we come to grapple with that in our minds in this season, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be full of joy, recognizing because of your great grace, we have peace with God. In Jesus' name, amen. What I find so interesting about Luke chapter 2 with a passage that I know is familiar for many of you, is that without the proclamation of the angels that the child which had been born, it would have had been perceived as merely ordinary. Without the proclamation of the angels, the birth of this child would have been perceived as merely ordinary. Granted, upon reading the story, some of you might be concerned for the mother who lacks room to place her child or even have a place of comfort to deliver a child. And some might even be further disturbed that the only place in which she could place the child was in a manger. But on further understanding, as you recognize that the light of the census, she used whatever means necessary to, one, to deliver her child in safety, but to also give her child something of safety to sleep. In real reality, I stress all these things just to make the point obvious. When you read the Luke account, everything goes forward as as just ordinary. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, it's business as usual. In fact, if you read verse 7, nothing is striking to you and I as the reader. It's just going through what happens when you give birth. And she gave birth, Luke 2, 7 says, to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no, no room for them in the inn. Verse 8, business around the birth of the Messiah continued to go on as normal, for in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. What's so striking about the account of the birth of the Messiah, it's Excitement doesn't begin until the proclamation of the angels. There are events, even ourselves, we know this, that are so significant that when we get to enjoy them, they so radically change our lives in an instant. About a year ago, my wife and I, well, it was really like three years ago, had planned to take our children to Disneyland. 
And we bought the tickets, and we bought the means to go, and then COVID hit. And so year after year after year, we never knew if we were ever going to go to Disneyland again. And the children had this expectation that one day we would be able to go. There are some events in our own lives that just stamp us out of the normal routine that when you experience the significance of it, it just fills you with joy. It was our delight a couple days after Christmas to announce to our children, we're going to Disneyland. But when it realized at first, they thought, oh, maybe this end of the school semester, we'll be able to go when we finally said no, just in a few days. And the whole house erupted. There are, now that's just one example in my own experience, but there have been routine ways that we live life. And there is this sharp announcement which radically changes everything for you and how you're going to live the rest of your life or the next following week. This can happen in the negative or in the positive. In this situation, everything is going on as routine, and then all of a sudden, verse 9, suddenly everything changes, and it will radically change the way the shepherds live the rest of their life. What I want to do is just stir our hearts around two things, the proclamation and the peace which, they are, which is being announced in this declaration. I have found this temptation in my own life to be that which enjoys the hope of Christmas without proclaiming its message. It is tempting in our society who has often even forgotten what Christmas is all about to keep our mouths shut. I have been reminded of this regularly as I stand even now at this last week in the classroom and after a whole semester peering over the gospel, it dawning on some of my students that within the name Christmas is Christ. Without the proclamation of the angels, the birth of this child was merely ordinary. But when the proclamation is declared, it filled them up with incredible joy. And upon those of us, like the angels, as we, after you read this or have experienced the truth of the gospel for ourselves, we ought to join in with their proclamation. And so what I want to do is stir our minds to these things. Would you consider with me what they proclaimed? And as parents, and as students, and as co-workers, ought we might think how we could use the message which is obvious in Christmas to proclaim that which the world desperately needs, this Savior. Look at verse Two, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 9. Everything is going along as one would expect. And in verse 9, to these shepherds, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Everything is going to fill with excitement. From this point on toward its conclusion, everybody is running, suddenly pops up, Several times in this story, there's announcement, there is singing, there is overwhelm, there is running. Verse 9 starts this moment of transition. 
moment of transition is hinged on this speaking, which they proclaim the truth of what Christmas is all about. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terribly frightened. Clearly a significant event in which Luke is trying to hint at the significance of just seeing an angel in their presence. But not only that, the glory of the Lord shone all around them was definitely one which would cause anyone to tremble. Verse 10, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The significant announcement is found in verse 10 and verse 11. What we're about to proclaim is good. Good for you and good for all the people. And in verse 11, they announce, this ordinary, from the perceived eyes of those who watch the scene around them, there is something significant about this child who has just been born. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In their proclamation, proclamation they announce three things. And I remind you, for the sake of Christmas and Advent, those three things stress the extraordinary position of this child. If yet not declared the child would have been perceived as ordinary, but their proclamation totally exchanged this ordinary child into an extraordinary position. One, this child which has been born is for you a savior. Christmas is, has this theme in which acknowledges within its name this historical truth that humanity has misused the image which God has given them. Remind us, we've gone through Genesis. I feel like every time that I speak about it that you might be overwhelmed by its reoccurrence. But let me remind you once again, you and I, amongst all creation, have been created with unique representation. Genesis 1, verse 27. Humanity was given. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. God created all creation within his creation. He created an image of himself to reflect his invisible character and power within creation, humanity. And humanity failed to represent the invisible God physically before all creation. And instead of telling the truth, we lie. Instead of telling the full truth, we gossip. Instead of working for our efforts, we steal. And the list could go on and on and on. And to this position, like when we talk about the child, we recognize Christmas within it, there's this brokenness with humanity. Yet, even though humanity failed to represent the invisible God, and the consequence for failing to represent the, the image of God was death, God, rich in His grace, even in Genesis, promised the Messiah. 
And so when the announcement of this child comes, this one who comes is a Savior. He is going to atone for that which you broke. He is going to be the one who restores the relationship which exists between you and God. Christmas means something because we acknowledge there is a broken relationship between us and God. And I know you know this. But just so we just stress it again, Titus 3, 5 through 7. When it comes to Christmas, when it comes to this child, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, who poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we so that being justified by his grace, we who we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Within Christianity, within Christmas, the proclamation which the angels declared today, you might have missed it in verse 11. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you. Personally. A Savior. And not only that, and we stressed this last week, while this is a, positions the child in an extraordinary position, not only is he Savior, but he's also Christ. And when we recognize last week this Christ, he is the one who has been promised even since Genesis 3.15, that he is the one who will bless the whole world. I stressed this last week over significant efforts to show how the Old Testament promised about one who will come and restore all things. Like when you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, the first eight verses is just ordinary, but it gets heightened at the mention of who he is, at the proclamation of who the child actually is. That's the point. He is the one who will bring a blessing to all the world. He is the one who will establish an eternal kingdom. He, will, he is the one who will satisfy justice upon the earth. He is the one who can restore peace between peoples. He is the one who can remove death itself. Those, just, those two things in which they declare are significant to take the merely ordinary situation of this child being born to an extraordinary position. So not only is he Savior, who will atone for your sins, not only is he Christ, and then there's the third, which is striking. And it's stri striking because it's the only occurrence in which in the book of Luke, you see the three titles placed together. And he does it to set the tone, I believe, for the whole book of this gospel. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The term is significant and used exclusively for the extraordinary position of God. That would have been a shocker. What an announcement they would have experienced with 
the landing of the last declaration that the one whom all people will stand before at the great judgment or at the great reconciliation is this child. I always ponder that one of the reasons I think that Christmas or the idea of God becoming incarnate doesn't amaze us is that God is literally just three letters in our mind. G-O-D. And yet, if we were to contemplate the position of this child, you would recognize the humility in which God is putting on display to become a baby. And it's this one who created all things. Genesis 1. It's this one who told the waters at creation where they should go, where they should fall, and where they should stop. Every time I go to the ocean, what causes the ocean to stop where it stops? It's this one in which we read from scriptures is the one in the Lord only who controls where the waters go. It is him who has appointed seasons upon the earth. It's him who called all things to existence. It is the the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever else might dwell within its waters. Like When the angel said at the proclamation, to you has been born a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the one who has spoke the stars into existence, the sun, the moon, and the earth, who dwells in unapproachable light, who's knitted you within the womb of your mother. Why is it that verse 19, Mary ponders these things? How is it that this child could be so much? But when you read verses 1 through 8, it's just ordinary but the extraordinary position of the child is exalted by what proclamation we have often heard even in our own age and we struggle with this in a society where christians do not live out their faith right and so we might say things like preach the gospel and sometimes use words the truth is If that's the model, then this child would have been perceived as merely ordinary. Yet his extraordinary position gets revealed before the world because of proclamation. Granted, there should be a right standing and an obedience to God that is correlated to the proclamation. But our obedience does not determine his extraordinary position. The proclamation gives witness to who he is. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you, personal, a Savior. He'll atone for your sins. He's the promised Messiah. And by the way, He's God. One last thing before I continue. 
We know the significance of that announcement to be astounding. For historically throughout the scriptures, man fears to go before the presence of God. Because those who dwell before or even approach the presence of God in the state of their sin is dealt with consequence. Remember in the Old Testament, a few attempting to go into the tabernacle and offer up strange fire, and in their attempt, they are undone. To go before the Lord carry this idea of incredible fear, but the angels declare, don't, don't be afraid. You can go before Him. Striking. And as significant as their proclamation became, and maybe too wonderful to be true, look at verse 12. You're going to get a sign. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. It's an awkward situation. Like, who puts a baby in a manger? The point of it is, is that their proclamation will be verified by where the child has been laid. And immediately after this proclamation, look at verse 13. This is cool. These poor shepherds. There are some events in the scriptures where the fuse gets broken. It's like too much energy, and they're just overwhelmed. There are rare occurrences throughout all of the scriptures where what they get to see has been rarely put on display, and yet these guys get to see it. And suddenly, there's the word again, they appeared, there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Like the heavens rolled back. And so now you don't just have one angel proclaiming. Now you have the hosts of angels proclaiming. And in this song, they proclaim the intent of our, of our focus today on Advent peace. And suddenly there were appeared with the angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men, with whom he is pleased. The coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Lord, was a demonstration of God's will towards humanity. Man did not make his appearance come simply because of their morality, but because God is gracious. And in this proclamation, the angels proclaim in worship, yes, even though you have misrepresented the invisible God with his image and you have rebelled against him. God's intent, intent with you is peace. The question I have for you and I to consider here, is this peace with all men? Or is it peace with whom? You'll notice again in verse 14. And on earth, peace among men. With whom? The emphasis is here like we always think like at the, some of the 
some of the questions that people might ask, what do you wish if you had all any wish that you have? And some will say, peace on earth. Here, what God is offering is not peace on earth, but rather peace with God. But that peace with God is selected or selective for those who respond to the great good news, which brings joy to those who have received it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Who is he pleased with? Those upon hearing the proclamation that God is gracious towards you, even though you are a sinner, have responded in repentance to make this child, who is your Savior, your Messiah, who is the Lord, with that response, you see the peace being restored between us and God. We went through the book of Romans, and for those of you who are with us, and at the reading, what a fine reading it was. In Romans 5, 1 through 2, that those who respond to the gospel don't have a peace of God, they have peace with God. The order is important. You can't have peace, the peace of God without the peace with God. Get the peace with God, and then you will have the peace of God. And if you have the peace of God, you can have peace with others. To love God is to have peace with Him, and to have that ability to have the peace of God is to extend the love of God to those around us. So in Romans 5, 1 through 2, Paul says, Therefore, after rightly responding to the gospel in faith, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Christmas doesn't make sense unless you know who the child is, who is the Savior, who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. And the response to the proclamation of the angels in faith provides the means to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. There have been a few incidents in my own life where I wanted peace. Often it was with my father or my parents. Mothers have this weird phrase that when a child has done something wrong, it just strikes fear to the inner core. Wait till dad gets home. And as you sit in the house, and often in my own room, I knew there was not peace with my father. Why? Because I had wronged his wife and my mother. And I longed for peace. Peace means we're good. And we can enjoy the blessings of the household, that which my father has been gracious to give me. And we can understand that on a human level. I think we can all can acknowledge that. I heard it quite frequently. And then after a time, that the real reality is that we have this issue with God. And we do not have peace with Him. What a wonderful thing that I had as a father as a father who was desiring 
to pursue reconciliation and restoration within his children. Often it's perceived even by the, our, I had a good example, by our bad examples that the image of God is that he is cruel and vindictive and all he wants to do is punish those who do evil. This is the announcement in which the angels proclaim. It's not that way. That God, here's the good news and the great joy. He has given you a Savior. And He has given you the promised Messiah. And it's the Lord Himself. And within His character, within His will, He desires upon those who respond in faith to have peace with Him. What I fear with Christmas. Like you say it in the word, Christmas is that we have a world that does not understand the conflict between us and God and have suppressed that reality deep within that they do not take it seriously. How will they know? What took the angels from just an ordinary night to an extraordinary situation? words. The greatest resources that God has given humanity is our mouths. We can speak truth with Him, we can speak lies with Him, or we can shut. But at the proclamation, it announced something that was genuinely real and will re-radically reshape the rest of the lives of these shepherds. He's a Savior. He is the Christ. He's the Lord. Can I give you one example of how this looks in Luke? And the character of this child as he comes and establishes ministry. Luke chapter 7. The woman who comes to this dinner by the Pharisees' standards is the worst of sinners. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus is sitting with these religious leaders. And look how he defines this woman as she comes to the scene and what she is offered after her response. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Who does she need? The child who is her Savior, who is her Christ, who is her Lord. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, knowing who he was, she brought an alabaster vow of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and kept wiping them with the hair on her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Knowing who he was changed her response. And when you know who Christ is, who your Savior is, and who, what, he, what he offers you as a Messiah, this woman expresses a genuine hope to receive him. So now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Is, is this man, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, and that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, 
Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. The will of God is this, that he be gracious towards sinners. And Jesus puts this greatly on display, which is announced by the angels. And as you continue to read Luke, you see the character and the will of Christ to perform it. Turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. Who did Christ come for? Sinners. She knows this, and being great with sin, she responds with great gratitude. But we're not done yet. What does Christ offer her? One, the forgiveness of her sins. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reconciling at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgive sins. It's like they jumped over Luke chapter 2, right? They just have to listen to the angels. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We talk about in this world desiring peace. You can't find it. We know this even in our United States. Ukraine knows this. Russia knows this. Even Even within our own culture, there are a variety of issues that constantly are popping up within our society which regularly remind us we don't have peace. And the reality is is that humanity is super naive to think that we could establish peace by our own efforts and by our own hands. The gospel is rooted in this reality that the peace of God cannot be extended to the world around us unless we have peace with God. She gets it. She understands in order to bear the peace of God as the image of God, you ought to have a relationship with God that has been reconciled. And that when you have peace with God, then and only then the peace of God can be extended to the world around us. And that proclamation has been that declared through voice, and as a response of it, she is responding in repentance. Do not go through the Christmas season, I plead with you, not saying anything about Christmas. This is our moment. Christmas is the gospel, and that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. Who's the son? He is the He is your Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. And the means by which you proclaim it is not with these, but with this. Right? Declare it to your children. Declare it in the 
in the workplace. Declare it in the schools. And this is how the shepherds, upon hearing the proclamation, they in response, because it is great joy, begin to declare it. Look at verse 15. The shepherd's response. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They have a, they have a choice. You go see. Let's go see if it's true. Verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known how with their mouths the statement which had been told them about this Christ. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. Everyone else didn't get to hear the angelic proclamation, but they did at the proclamation of the shepherds. And those who heard it had the choice to receive it for themselves or to deny it. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. In verse 20, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Now, what makes Christmas Christmas? The proclamation. The proclamation of who this child is and God's intent. He wants peace. But the means by which you have peace with God, which we have peace with God, is through responding to the intent that He is our Savior, He is our Messiah, He is the Lord. One last, one last story before we take the table together. Luke was written primarily to understand the life of Christ in a consecutive order. It's his first work. He has a second work, and the second work is in, found in the book, book of Acts. And Luke, the issue was is that the Savior was promised to the Jews. But at the announcement the angel said it would be for all the people, Gentiles included. And as those who followed in the life of Christ's ministry, the disciples learned about the truths of who he was as Savior Christ and Lord. And as he ascended to the heaven, they proclaimed the goodness to all of Israel. And yet there was this one strategic point in Acts chapter 10 where the gospel tends to take root not just with the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And I just want to remind us again that the issue of the proclamation is rooted in this issue of peace with God. Peter going to the house of Cornelison, look at what he does in the first words of 1034. I only stress it, maybe, I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm only going to stress it probably just for the, the first line. I just need you to see it. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Opening his mouth. We got to open our mouths with the proclamation of the gospel. The child stays merely ordinary unless he is defined. And so Peter said, I am certainly, most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. Starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses. What's he doing? He's proclaiming. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land, just like the shepherds, proclaiming Christ. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day, granted that he become visible not to all the people, but witnesses who ch were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us, there it is again, to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. The proclamation of the angels, the shepherds, the apostles, and the church historically, when they proclaim, they take what is perceived as the ordinary child and through their proclamation present the extraordinary position of the child who is your Savior, your Messiah, your Lord, who brings you to a relationship to have peace with God. And in light of that, I delight to take communion with you. For those of you who have responded to the proclamation of God, who have made Christ